I'll be reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. Philippians 1, 3 to 8. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible word. Father, we confidently ask you to bless us. Bless us with the presence of the Holy Spirit, penetrating our thoughts, our hearts, our affections, our sin, producing righteousness and joy in the Word of God in community this morning. Do it. Help me unfold the reality here in this text. So that we walk away here, from here today, more joyful than when we came in. For your grace, which lay upon our lives as those who were yours through Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Okay, so this morning... What I want to do is concentrate on that one first thing that causes Paul in this text to be so joyful as he prays for the Philippians. So Paul's praying with joy and he says why and the first reason is right there in verse 5. Koinonia. Because of your Fellowship, partnership in the gospel. Most Christians, like with the word logos and agape, know the word koinonia. There's lots of thousands of churches with that name in it. Actually, it's essentially the third word of the name of our church, Sovereign Grace. Translate koinonia, fellowship. This is why Paul is so joyful. It means because of the communion, the togetherness, what we have in common, partnership, koinonia in the gospel. And here Paul is not merely saying, we have koinonia, because there is a truth to this, but this is not what he's saying in this context. We have koinonia because you're born again, or you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, so we have it. He means more specifically in this context that we, Philippian church, you with me, Paul, are in fellowship because you 
are living this life out in a deep way that connects with me, Paul, personally over these number of years. That's what he means by our fellowship in the gospel, whether in my imprisonment, whether five years ago, from the beginning to now. Now look at verse 7. When he says, now again in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Why? For you are all, and here comes the word again, koinonia, with the preposition attached to the beginning. It's a compound. Fellowship with. Partnership with me. Together. In common. In grace. It's the fellowship. That flows out of. Grace. So he means. You're true Christians. We are therefore in communion. I, Paul, you Philippian believers, in communion because of grace. The communion that the Holy Spirit created. The manifestation of God's grace in the Philippians, in the context here, was their ongoing financial support of Paul's ministry over the years and up to this day. Paul and the Philippians had been brought into the grace of God, creating koinonia, a Christian brotherhood, brothers and sisters, is created by God's grace, and it's unique. Now, in the first century, they had tons of things that made barriers between peoples, just like we do today. In the first century, they had barriers like race, wealth, culture, education, Jew, Gentile, Roman, Greek, slaves, masters, or freemen, Naturally, all of those things created an atmosphere of no fellowship, community. They were barriers. But God takes from the first century up to today, from all these varying, differing kinds of groups, and puts them into one grace. The grace of Jesus Christ puts them into, Paul's other language elsewhere, into one body. And a special connection between those human beings is created by the Holy Spirit. And what that relationship produces by the Spirit, the New Testament calls fellowship. Rich person, with a poor person. High church culture, low church culture. Presbyterian, Pentecostal. They have a fellowship because they're born of the Spirit. 
they're of grace, which means they share. Here's the basic meaning of koinonia. You share in common. That's the communion. That's why from out of many differing groups, Jesus said, continue to eat this meal. Like we will this morning, we call communion. So what does koinonia then? Yeah, we're Christians, let's have fellowship. What does it mean? Does it mean, oh, okay, I profess Christ, you profess Christ, and we do stuff together. We drink coffee together. Or we watch movies together. Or sports, you love, oh, we love the same great sport called football. Let's go do that together. So we're fellowshipping. That's not what he's talking about. That's not koinonia. These things like that do not in themselves, even though we're in the same church or Christians down the street, they do not in themselves imply that we are necessarily experiencing koinonia with one another. There's a place for all that stuff. I love many of those things. But to equate, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, and now let's go after our worldly likes and just do those things together. That is an abuse of Christian language which may fool us into thinking that we're thriving on Christian fellowship when in reality our souls are starving to death for it. Luke writes this way in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And, and here comes the word again, and to the koinonia, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So Acts of the Apostles and Paul, they're referring to being caught up into a Jesus-centered Gospel-centered, apostles teaching-centered fellowship. They weren't united around worldly interest or likes or cultural bents. Think about the beginning of the church in Philippi. You have a young slave girl who was demonized and told fortunes. You have a Roman soldier who was the jailer and his family. And you have this very wealthy woman who was a converted Jew. And then other women and others who came in early into the church world. That's the beginning of this fellowship, this koinonia this church in Philippi, and there was very little to bind them together on worldly standards. But there was something infinitely more precious and valuable and life-changing and driving to bind them together. The teaching of the apostles and the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. 
Now, I'm just going to speak. This is very subjective. We all have our subjective experiences, but I've been a Christian for almost 40 years. And I have found over those 40 years as a Christian and in church life that worldly interest, and I have many, but they have nothing to do with Christian fellowship. I've experienced those within churches who tried to fellowship that that's it. It's just be great. We're Christians and we like football. I like football. I like golf. But there's a way to do that, and that's the center of your life and relationship together. And it's not, therefore, Christian or koinonia. Koinonia, the way the New Testament is talking about it, is first vertical before it can be with each other horizontal. We each must experience the reality of koinonia, of fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before we can experience it with one another in our common relationship to God. So let's notice in our text, verses 3 to 8, chapter 1, one very crucial thing that flows out of this koinonia, and that is prayer. Prayer in this passage grows out of fellowship with God and praying for believers. That's what springs out of the common, the communion with others. Begin with verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your koinonia in the gospel. Your partnership, your, our in commonness in the gospel. You with me from the first day until now. Paul is thanking God for the evidence of spiritual blessing happening in the community of the Philippian church. Now, as you go on to read... Paul's very normal. Paul understands normal everyday needs and food on the table and there's a virus about or sickness or Aunt Betty needed to go to the hospital. He he's, he's normal, but although he's normal like that, he's sensitive to basic needs. It seems as if here and everywhere in Paul, he was much more concerned for the spiritual well-being of those he had fellowship with. He was much more concerned and thankful for the work of God in the souls of these people. Priority-wise, I think our prayers should bend more towards something like verses 9 and 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent 
And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Paul's example shows us we must become more heavenly-minded than we are earthly in our praying for each other. This kind of praying at its core will change us. It'll change our relationships with each other. It'll change our koinonia and our experience of it. Let's just be, again, I said I've been a Christian for 40 years. So we just be real. Say you just don't like somebody. Their personality just rubs you raw. You don't like so much about them. And so what do you do? Decide to be honest with God. With God. He knows everything, so you say, God, I just can't stand this about him. Or about her. And you go on, and God listens. And he listens. And he begins to work on you. And then... Somehow you start to see what you didn't see before. Yeah, those things, maybe still there, personality, conflicts, but you start to, to see as you pray the hand of God in His grace in that brother or that sister's life. Yeah, they're still imperfect, just like you. And you say, Lord, wow. He or she really is your blood-bought brother, sister whom you redeemed and thus made them mine. And then the Lord says, okay, since you see that, why don't you begin to pray for them? And then you find, in a way you didn't yesterday, a little bit more of a place in your heart for that other person. Because what we constantly, desperately need is the grace of God and the work of the Spirit in our hearts as we fight our selfishness and flesh and hard-heartedness and arrogance. And why can't they be like me? And fellowship then, from praying for them, begins to grow and develop. By God changing you. Think about that now in light of verse 7. Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Glanced at it last time, but what does he mean when he says that? He means what he just said in verse 6. 
And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul not only prayed for them, but he knew something. He knew God was at work in them. And that God would accomplish His work and He'll bring it all the way to completion even in that brother's life and that sister's life. And we'll all stand before Jesus on that day. He knew it. And if we know it, that's the death blow to we Christians who have attitudes that are always thinking the worst of the other believer. Separations within the church and church world, as Paul says, must happen interpersonally, not necessarily. What I mean, look, we're all undone. But we can so easily, as believers, separate ourselves. Not just in this local church or the next, but within Christians and from church to church and friends, we know we can so easily separate ourselves from actual blood-bought brothers. And sisters, and we should not want to do that. Sometimes we so easily do that because we believe they're wrong. I'm right. Therefore, push away. Because we believe I wouldn't do that, that's worldly. We separate. They don't understand that biblical doctrine the way that I do, which is absolutely correct. It's easy to lose sight of the fact that God is still at work in them as He is in us. Paul has a deep affection. Where is that affection, that special affection for the Philippians coming from? It's right there in the text. It's because that fellowship is based on, quote, you are all partakers with, soon koinonus, partakers with me of grace. From the great Apostle Paul to the lowliest believer in Philippi or in this room today, all believers are partakers of grace. And there is no greater truth that really 
affects and hits our guts and challenges our sinful divisions that come from pride and arrogance than the truth that all of us who love Jesus on this earth, all of us deserve eternal condemnation. And all of us thus equally stand in God's grace. Oh, it is amazing how people can have screwy theology. And they will stand in the resurrection of the just. And other people will be shocked to see you there. So are there Christians whom you can't stand and with whom you think, I'll never have anything in common. Maybe it's because their social skills are just so much different than yours. Maybe they don't see what you see concerning some great, important biblical doctrines. Maybe it's social issues like the massive social issue of our day in this country right now over the issue of, of race, over the issue of a doctrine of the division that, that creates division within Christians who some say, I'm not buying this. Others say, I'm buying this, that there is systemic embedded oppression of black persons that is horrific in this country. What do Christians do? You fall on one side or the other. One thing I know, God wants to change our dispositions. First and foremost. I didn't say our positions. I didn't say he didn't want to do that. I'm not even talking about that. He does want to change our dispositions. He wants us to be able to pray for that brother, for that sister who think differently. He wants to do that because we are to see them as true lovers of Jesus, assuming they are, and thus as partakers of God's undeserved grace through Jesus Christ. And as we have dialogue, we keep that as the foundation. Koinonia, for Paul here, creates longing, creates yearning for his brothers and sisters. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The sharing in the same grace of Jesus together with other sinners who are saints should be producing enjoyment in and concern for the welfare of other Christians. That's Christianity. There are who knows how many hundreds of millions of us around the earth, but you, God has allowed you to only know very few Christians. 
It's amazing how he does that. Because he wants you to interact and have koinonia with. He wants you to care for and to pray for. Okay? We're, we're not all Christians in the world generally, but they have names. And they're on your heart because God put them into your life. It's because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you. And 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 that's why we are able through love's sake. Why Paul prayed for the Philippian church that your love would grow. Care, concern, foundation on the grace of Jesus Christ as we struggle through differing personalities and positions and thoughts and irritations. But that's what Christian fellowship is. This is why Peter just easily writes to anybody out there in the world and all the churches throughout the provinces of the Roman Empire in 1 Peter. He just says, you're all with me, aliens in this world. No matter what culture you grew up in, what peer group, what high school, what colleges, what family structure, parents and siblings, we get snatched by God out of the world, yet we remain in the world. And there is, therefore, a real opposite of koinonia in us concerning all those relationships. He's produced a brand new one that gave real meaning and purpose to life and hope, meaning the guaranteed of the future. And many of you have been Christians long enough. It could be at a school. It could be at, a, at an airport. You, you just somehow ran into someone, started talking, and you found out that that black African is a Christian and loves Jesus. And it is amazing the next 25 minutes of your conversation how you had an affection for him and him for you. And we can go on and on because, as Peter writes, we are strangers and aliens in this world, but not alone because he has put us in koinonia with one another. That's what true koinonia is. Think about it. I mean, is it not true for you that it's hard to enjoy real Christian fellowship when Christ is not the center. Now, I mean, so I mean, it seems kind of dumb to say it. But look, I think we have all experienced that. I mean, other than when we meet for communion here, like this in church and hundreds of thousands of churches throughout the world, and then once you walk out the doors, are Christians having any 
true fellowship. Or are all your conversations and your interactions with the fellow members just about sports? Just about the raising of your kids? Just about politics? Or homeschooling? Paul's point is, he has a clear affection for them because of the koinonia, the fellowship that comes from the power of grace. That's what unites them. Let me just give it, let me just turn the example. Let's say that you create a, a koinonia, a, a, a fellowship around being a football fan. I mean, I join it. Well, maybe, because you know, I like to isolate when I watch football. But this is what that club, that koinonia, is about. And so who joins in that? Those who get great enjoyment in watching football. So then someone comes in who doesn't like football, doesn't understand football, doesn't even know what a first down is. They're going to drag the group down or they'll be very bored because this is about football. And therefore, you're no fun to be in this group. Find another one. Maybe it's a shopping group. Here's the point. There is no Christian fellowship if there is no Christ in the center. And that's what draws people from varying, differing cultures and backgrounds and likes and dislikes. Christian fellowship, it's a miracle. It's built upon the experience and the reality of new birth in people who may be utterly diverse in worldly senses. A Jew practicing Self-righteous Jew, pagan, immoral, Gentile, come to Christ. The same town in the same city. Slave, a master, slave owner. That's different. Black American. White American. Sports fans come to Jesus. Persons who hate all sports come to Jesus. Differing ethnicities and cultures. This is the miracle of koinonia. Now before I close, I want you to do something. Just turn to the end of the book of Romans. Chapter 16, to just see this in the New Testament in a way that you normally wouldn't notice it. Paul has spent weeks here now writing the book of Romans, dictating the book of Romans, editing and getting this thing right. He's in Corinth. Many Christians have clearly gathered together as this thing would be read again and again. And now he comes to the very closing, finally, of the letter. 
before it's going to be sent off. And in that room, there's some people there. One is Gaius, who's very wealthy, has a massive estate there in Corinth. He's actually been housing Paul and his buddies, and they do a lot of church services and stuff in his house. Gaius is there. And not only that, Gaius actually lent to Paul one of his own slaves so that Paul would dictate to him this other Christian now, slave named Tertius, and Tertius would do the actual writing. He's there. The treasurer to the city of Corinth, Orestes, he's there. And Paul's traveling missionary buddies are there, like Timothy and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater. And there's probably this other Christian brother who's a slave, most likely, Cortus. They're all there. So if you're there in Romans 16, Paul is... He's just given a whole bunch of his own personal greetings, and then he added the benediction. Okay, the blessing of the Lord, and let's end. And then he pauses. He looks around the room, and he sees all of these Christians with him there who are genuinely interested in all these believers in Rome whom they never met. Begin at verse 21. So then Paul says to Tertius, okay, tell him this, Tertius. Timothy, my fellow worker, says hi. Greet you. And so do Lucius and Jason and Salsipater, my kinsmen. And then at this point, Paul stops. But Tertius the slave, the Christian, keeps on writing. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And then Paul picks up again. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. This is true Christian fellowship. And it's an example for all Christians. Their experience was, I love, Je I love Jesus. The gospel is the greatest news. It changed my life. Some for maybe only a year or two, others for many years at this point. And they realize, he's writing to the church. There's other human beings there in that city. The same gospel changed their life. Paul, tell those brothers and sisters, I say, hi. So you may be a missionary like Paul and his buddies. Or you, or you may be a person like Gaius who can open their home to missionaries and show hospitality to other Christians. Or you may or may not be an elected official like Erastus, who was also very wealthy. You may be very poor like Tertius or Cordus, but even though you don't have a house to open, you got a heart to open and service to others. Cornony is referring to a secret family. I know it sounds like a cult, but it's not. 
It's a secret family created by the power of grace. Grace of the Holy Spirit. And it's a secret family that all the members are open for others to join. But the gospel must remain clear to say there's only one door. There's only one door. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ to come into this koinonia. And in this koinonia, God, who opens the door or closes the door by the Spirit, He shows no partiality. He is no respecter of persons, status in this world. He does not show partiality towards a person's race or ethnicity or culture or wealth or position. But He is pleased with His grace creating a genuine Christian and bringing them into Christian koinonia fellowship. Tax collector, fisherman. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now I'm going to close with the Apostle John's perspective on this word koinonia, fellowship, as he begins his letter called 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, okay, get this, he's referring to God in the flesh, to his friend Jesus. Which we have heard, which we, that is I and many of us, but not we the readers of this, but we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and we've touched Jesus with our hands. In other words, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. He came. He showed up. And we, I, John included, have seen it and testify to it and preach it. Proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest in Christ us that which we have seen and heard and we proclaim also to you for a purpose this is the word of the gospel why do we proclaim it to you so that you also may have koinonia 
with us. And indeed, our koinonia is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we believers on earth today say to each other what John said to these other Christians in the first century. Fellowship with us in our fellowship with the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit. If a person is not a Christian, they cannot know the realities of that. Christian fellowship. Our fellowship is not based on Jewishness or IQ or race or interest or economic class or sex or age. Our fellowship is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all partakers of grace with Paul. And John. We're going to show that in the eating of the Lord's Supper here in a couple minutes as it's passed out. Sanitized. You'll grab. Your wafer will be on top. This is the meal of koinonia. This is the meal of Jesus' people. This is the meal of those who have been plucked out of darkness into light and have joined John and the other apostles in their fellowship with the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you for your ongoing work as we see here in Philippians 1 that you've began it and as each and every one of us struggle with our sin and Division in our hearts and unforgiveness of a brother or sister in Christ. We, we now lay this stuff before you and say, continue to work. Work in me. Make me desperate to come to you. To mainly be worked on by you. As I pray for the good and the blessing of others. Thank you, Father. Mm -hmm.